So what's what's the future of surface and panel? Like you said, John, I mean, I think the future is bright. I mean, the future is bright for publishing. I mean, it's why we're investing in companies. We're investing in growth. Uh, you know, we we don't want to see these legacies and these valuable resources, you know, disappear from the market. So, um, you know, and surface and panel certainly fits that. Welcome to the Surface and Panel Podcast, your digital symposium. On today's episode, we have a conversation between John Ofterhart and Patrick Adams. This episode is sponsored by Uniboard. Uniboard, redefining wood. Let's talk about the panel processing industry. Well, John, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, I, I, when I look back at the woodworking industry, it was around 2000 that um, we began to look closely at the panel processing side, which was always just a vertical niche in woodworking back then. I was going to say back then, I mean, panels were, were not known for anything high quality that you'd put in a home. Were they? Well, you know, and panel processing has been around for a long time, particularly in Europe. But in America, it really just kind of was taking hold. But for me, um, having a chance to visit Ligna over in Hanover and getting to Zoom in Cologne, you begin to see the, uh, the effects of automation, right. the fantastic surfacing. And of course, as we know, that's ultimately going to get to the United States. So in 2003, we launched Surface and Panel really as a niche in the horizontal woodworking industry. Now today, if you fast forward, it's the largest process in the world and continuing to grow. Right. And I think when you look down the road, you'll find out that solid wood products will be artisan products. Right. And uh, and they'll be expensive. Yeah. Um. People will still desire them, but panel processing will will pick up the slack on just about everything in furniture and cabinets. Do you think the volume and, and the, the interest and the market adoption is going to, you know, do you think it's going to be kind of a hockey stick adoption as it, as it goes through generations? Because, you know, I can tell you, so we just moved into a new home after almost 15 years in, in the same house. And apparently both my wife and I, we don't consider ourselves old, but um, we must have old school values because, you know, my wife was going through the house we ended up buying and kind of looking at the cabinets and going, oh yeah, there's solid wood. That's good. And oh, dovetail drawers. Oh, that's good. And, you know, going through in a very traditional mindset. And then of course, you know, the new house is bigger than the old one. So that means you have to fill it with furniture. So this is a whole separate conversation that I could fill three hours with, but furniture shopping with your wife, um, you know, she's going around and, and kind of, um, disappointed, dismayed because she's applying the same standards to the furniture shopping. So looking for a bigger dining room table, but you know, there is no such thing really as a solid wood dining room table anymore. And if it was solid hardwood, I keep reminding her, you know, that'd be a $30,000 table right now. <laughs> and we're not spending $30,000 on a dining room table. It would also be subject to cracking and splitting. Right. Yeah. But, you know, she, she's still, you know, as, as I have too, you know, she looks at her parents' house and her parents' furniture and, you know, like her mom's dining room table was passed down 
you know, through generations and, you know, God only knows how old that thing is, but, you know, still standing up. And, you know, I think the younger generations just look at things as more as styles and fashion and consumable. And, you know, this is the way I want my house to look today. And, you know, maybe five years from now, I want to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, this is something that's happening, uh, as we speak, older Americans, the baby boom generation that's retiring, moving into, you know, senior living facilities, not necessarily assisted, but, you know, yeah. but moving into new condos and apartments. And they're finding when they have modern kitchens. And when I say modern, I don't necessarily mean the style, although many of them are. They will they'll open up the drawers and have some of these magnificent metal drawer box systems from people like Bloom and Grass and Ceviche and others. Um, that are far more efficient, far more accurate. They're not dovetailed. Right. They're not made out of wood. But even the older Americans are looking at this and saying, this is fantastic. Right. I love the look. I love the feel. So where I think uh, America has had this, they've been constricted thinking that, well, they're older people. They're going to want a, a solid wood, solid old kitchen. Not anymore. Well, it strikes me that's uh, that's one of the things that I love about publishing is, you know, we get the benefit of being able to travel the world and take these, you know, facility tours and go to amazing trade shows like, you know, IWF or KBiz where, you know, you see the latest, greatest, amazing trends. And, you know, it's, it's uh, I think been smart on my part that I've resisted taking my wife to KBiz because God help me if she actually saw what was possible, yeah. you know, we'd be gutting the entire house to the bones. Um, but, you know, the average consumer or, you know, the average builder, the average person, you know, in the trade, you think about that lag of time before there's mainstream adoption you know, from when a trend or a new product or a new technology comes out. And that's what I've always loved about publishing is, you know, you get to, you have this perspective of an industry that literally nobody else in the industry has because we travel so much and we see so much and we talk to so many people that, um, you know, even though maybe you're not manufacturing a product in the industry, you you know more about the industry than probably anybody in the industry that you're serving. So, you know, it's, it's, it's true that being in uh, in the publishing business, we, and it sounds a little bit arrogant, but we tend to have a little more of an omniscient view than somebody who's making a, a supply product or in only one segment. And um, yeah, so I think we can see some trends. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, back in 2003, Panel processing was a bit of a niche. Um, it appeared that it was going to explode, and it has. Yeah. So you can look at a panel processing facility in Keokuk, Iowa, and it might look, it'll look identical to one that's in Shanghai, China. Right. Technology is the same. The panel products are, uh, and that's the other thing. Panel products and decorative services have advanced so far, and they are so accurate in their production that... Uh, you can now use highly highly automated and highly accurate machinery to process it. Yeah. Whereas with solid wood, you know, we used to say, God grows trees, you have to accept grain variation. Right. And deal with it in your production facility. 
Right. So everything was always, you know, there's always a lot of handwork when it comes to solid product. Yeah. The panel products, unbelievably uh, sound, accurate. Yeah. And you can make accurate products out of it. Right. Well, you definitely sound, I, I mean, you know, like, like a lot of the industries that some of our publications have served, you're passionate about this industry, but what's kept you in publishing? Like what, why publishing? Well, it's since we're in, in an industry like this that we're very passionate about. Right. And have been in publishing all my life. It's, it's a unique place for us and it's a fantastic spot to be. Right. Because we get to see these trends, we get to report on it. And um, it really goes back to a natural curiosity. Love to get into people's facilities, right. see the latest technology that they're using, yeah. how they're advancing. And I think the most exciting thing for, uh, for our industry, even though I mentioned uh, panel products, the decorative surfaces have become so realistic mm. that young consumers, old consumers, nobody says anymore, well, is that a laminate? Right. They don't know if it's a laminate. It's it's so realistic. Right. Now they just say, I love the look, and if it's priced right, that's what I want. Yeah. So they, they've they've taken away that uh, that objection to uh, what used to be called plastic laminate. Yeah. No, I think I think it's interesting. I mean, like you, it's uh, you know I think every every English or language arts teacher that I had in school would be surprised that I found myself in publishing. Um, it, it was never my favorite subject and never wanted anything to do with it. Never thought I would be involved with writing or publishing or anything of the sort. But like you, I've always had this natural curiosity about things. And, you know, from an early age, I always thought, man, you know, like how cool would it be you know, if if there was reincarnation or if you could just live, you know, 50 lifetimes, you know, all the different things I would want to try with each lifetime. You know, I'd like to, you know, do this as a career and then I'd like to do this and I'd like to do this. And, um, you know, I, even at a young age, I, I, I remembered, I mean, not a high anxiety, but almost this stress of, Man, I've got to I've got to pick a career that tries to fulfill as much of this as possible. And stumbling into publishing, uh, I pretty quickly realized how cool it is that you can be involved in, know more about, and serve as many industries as you have publications that serve. So you know, over my career, I've been involved. You know, I mean, when you think about it. You know, yes, I've been in publishing my whole career, but what I've really been involved in is, you know, the auto industry and the firearms industry and the education industry and the hunting industry. And, that you know, I mean, you could keep going on and on through all these different industries of, you know, right now, like we serve, you know, construction and building materials, which, you know, this is part of it. And first responders and military and public utilities and transportation. And, you know, you, you think about those things as such disconnected, disparate things, but probably like you, I think about the audience we serve and I think about how much each one of those readers relies on our written word to make good business decisions or to be informed, to, to try to 
you know, gain the benefit of all of our travel and all of our discussions, if we can boil that down into one great article that, you know, moves the needle for them, like, oh, creates that aha moment. Wow, I never knew that. Wow, that changes my whole view of how I'm going to do this in my business. I always thought, wow, what a what a cool thing to be able to do. But wow, what a heavy responsibility to kind of honor that service and that responsibility, you know, not take shortcuts. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Uniboard. Uniboard, the North American leader in the design and manufacture of particle board, MDF, and decorative composite wood panels. Uniboard is renowned for having one of the most extensive product portfolios of engineered wood products in North America, ranging from deep embossed and synchronized TFL textures to ultralight MDF. Uniboard's products are sold to retailers, distributors, and finished goods manufacturers, which cater to the kitchen cabinet, furniture, office, home renovation, and construction industries. Uniboard. Redefining wood. So, so what attracted you to uh, to acquire Bedford Falls Communications and Surface and Panel? Well, I mean, you know, we we've you know been talking you know for quite a while, and you know, publishing is you know becoming well. How do I don't know? I guess it's always been you know maybe a small group, right? I mean, even no matter how big media has gotten, it's still I think a pretty tight group. We all seem to bump into each other and know each other, and for me, um, you know, more than P&Ls or, or anything else that normally drive acquisitions, to me, it's about shared values. You know, do you, you know, do you have a service mentality towards the industry that you're involved in? You know, are you looking to exploit it or are you looking to serve it? And, you know, from go, it, it was evident that we shared that service mentality, um, that, you know, we had a responsibility to our audience and the market to, um, you know, to try to deliver the best with every single issue. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of publishers have tried to take shortcuts and I think they've gotten scared by changes in media, you know, with, with digital and the web and social media, and it's gotten to be a, a noisy, confusing place. But, you know, for me, and that natural curiosity change was always a natural thing. Like I never wanted the business to stay the same for a month, much less a year or 10 years. Um, so when things like digital and social media and everything came along, it didn't change the foundation of the business at all. It was still about service and serving that audience with the best content we can possibly deliver. Um, we just deliver it through different vehicles now, you know, and sometimes it's print and sometimes it's digital and sometimes it's social, but it doesn't mean that people don't still want and need credible, valuable information that they can trust. And, and I think that's where, what has made publishing even more valuable than maybe it ever was. Because, you know, now we're surrounded by so much fake news, you know, I mean, to, to use the coin term now, um, but it's true, you know, it's, it's hard to know what you can trust. So some of our publications go back almost 100 years. 
So there's no disputing you can trust them. Yeah. Um, so when I met you and I saw what you did with Surface and Panel, and it was already an industry vertical that we were in, um, and you know certainly this is an exciting segment of the industry that's innovating a lot of amazing things, and um, you know is just on. Not not to say that it hasn't already taken off, but I think we agree that there's far more upside to growth in the market than has been experienced yet. Um, it was just a great opportunity. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to have you as a, as a partner, I guess. I'm, I, I'm still with you here for a while, but, uh, but uh, I'm very pleased. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been, you know, exciting. I think one of, you know, my favorite parts of acquiring companies like, like yours is, you know, getting people like you as a mentor, you know, that we can, you know, we can take over the, the messy, unfun stuff, like, you know, the admin and the corporate stuff and, you know, which I don't enjoy either. Um, and leave you really to focus on, you know, sharing that, that career worth of wisdom and knowledge and, um, everything you've learned about the industry, everything that you've been exposed to, because those, those are the valuable assets, in my opinion, you know, and those are the things that you really can't put a price on, um, you know, and, and, you know, once, uh, you know, once you join the, the senior tour and start playing golf full time, <laughs> um, you know, there won't be getting that knowledge back. So, uh, so the most fun part, I think, has been you know, just spending time with you and, you know, traveling around with you and meeting people in the industry and listening to the stories that you guys have and listening to stories about how the market has changed and will continue to change, you know, which really uh, prompts the ideas of how we can service those needs. You know, what, what new things can we do? What new information can we provide? that help keep the audience abreast um, of those things before they land on their desk. Sure. You, you know, one of the things that uh, I love about service and panel, now we are all about panel processing. Right. Um, but it doesn't matter if you make store fixtures, kitchen cabinets, office furniture, household furniture, uh, even millwork today. Uh, the processes and the technology used are the same. So when we do a story on a kitchen cabinet manufacturing company, people that, that um, you know, that make office furniture will enjoy reading it right. because they're faced with the same, same challenges, use the same materials, same surface materials. So it's, uh, it's, it's fun to be able to, uh, to traverse all these different indus you know, industry subsections mm -hmm. because they all come back together in the end. Right, right. Yeah. So, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, do you think, um, you know, what 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 do you see right around the corner in the industry? I mean, do you see more big changes, or is it is it more just growth and widespread adoption? Well, I, as I mentioned earlier, I think the um, the acceptance of surfaced composites today mm -hmm. that are used in kitchen cabinets and store fixtures, etc. Um, we've crossed that barrier. It's no longer a problem having a laminated product. Right. So that's number one. Number two now is uh, the automation levels that are being deployed are uh, increasing day by day. There are companies now in America investing a lot of money 
uh, and basically their their goal is to is to have a lights out facility. Yeah, where uh, you know uh, material handling processing is with as little labor as possible. Now you still need it, of course, but uh, but that's really the next. Uh, yeah. The next What's time. been your biggest frustration of you know either either within you know surface and panel in the business something that you keep trying to get across that just hasn't gotten across or you know your frustration within the industry that you know just hasn't done what you think it should do or well i'll tell you what uh talk about being frustrated (laughs) Uh, you know i kind of grew up on the machinery side of this business even though i have a, a great affinity for the surface material and i love it because that's what drives uh design and style in this business but when I go back to where I started, I started in the upholstered furniture business. Mm. And it was a very large upholstered furniture manufacturer who had its own rough mill. And when you, when you look at a rough mill, I mean, they had an inventory of lumber that they bragged about that they could build a sidewalk from Wisconsin to, to Pennsylvania mm. with as much lumber as they had in the yard. So the, when you imagine a rough mill, it's a tremendous amount of labor, a lot of machinery, Irvington more dry kilns, which I lived in for nine months. I'm the, was a lumber uh, dryer and grater way back when. But as the industry changed, CNC technology came along mm-hmm. and you're now able to nest all of your frame parts out of plywood and cut them on a CNC. Right. And what it in essence did was eliminate that entire rough mill, which is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Well, the company that I work for never adopted the latest techniques mm. and they ultimately went out of business. Right. So, um, you know, I had, uh, I was interested in the technology and the machinery. Mm-hmm. So I kind of grew up on the machinery side of the business, which led to the panel processing side. Right. You look at panel saws, edge banders, CNC, machining centers. Right. Uh, it's amazing technology that you can really only use if you have a material that's also very accurate. Right. So that's kind of how it started. So the, the frustration has been... Um, since 2003, the adoption of panel processing um, in more segments. Yeah. But it's beginning to explode today. So it's arrived. Yeah. No, I, I, have, a, I have a similar frustration. I mean, applied more to, to publishing. But, you know, it's um, and, and it's about technology and it's about, you know, misperceptions of things. You know, I, I think, you know everybody has their expertise right and you know these these guys make beautiful products and beautiful cabinets and beautiful everything and you know what what we do is make you know beautiful amazing productive magazines and you know what we really are is marketers right i mean we understand how to move an audience how to introduce something how to get those people educated and interested and moving from point A to point B. And uh, I, I think what's always frustrating to me is, you know, uh, a financial guy, no matter how great he is at finance, would never assume he knows how to manufacture a cabinet. And he would never even try. And if he wanted to, he would go out and look for the very best cabinet maker. And, and equally, it just surprises me in so many of the industries that we serve how many people have truly just amazing innovative products and and 
for some reason believe they don't need to market, you know, that, that somehow, you know, I'll I'll tell you one of the the biggest jokes around the office is, is, uh, you know, what we call the marketing strategy, because we will literally get this response from people when we talk to them about how we can take their product to market. And, and the response sometimes is this is mostly on the, um, construction side of the business, but they'll say, no, you know, I, I prefer to fly under the radar. I said, you know, in, in all my years of business school, I, I don't recall ever reading about the sales and marketing strategy called flying under the radar. <laughs> like, like I, you know, in the mental picture that I get of flying under the radar is, you know, a retail store turning off its lights, closing the blinds, flipping the sliding to clip. Well, that's flying under the radar, right? I mean, if nobody knows you're in business, that's as stealth as you can get, right? So, you know, I just wonder, you know, because I always imagine us as, as one of their sales and marketing team, you know, we're a headcount, and what can we do versus that sales rep on the road? And, you know, what we do is we talk to tens of thousands of people using our relationship and our credibility to vouch for these people saying, you need to talk to these guys. Because we've already vetted the whole industry, and these are the guys that we're promoting. And, and I think that, you know, it's just getting people to understand that, to try that. And once they try it and they see the results, you know, it's, it's very rare, you know, that we ever lose a client. Because, you know, they, they finally get it. And the return on investment of, of marketing at that level to that many people, it makes their sales team more effective. It's... It's just trying to get people to drink the Kool-Aid is, you know, and, and try it the first time. It's, you know, because you've got something that you built that is so amazing and it works so well. And for some reason, you know, especially in this day and age, people just think, oh, no, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll just create a Facebook page. You're going to create a Facebook page. Well, yeah, that's, that's exactly where I go to get all of my credible news and information that I help make good business decisions is Facebook. And, you know, a, a longtime client of ours just last week, he gave me the best response to that. Like he started this conversation kind of promoting us. And I said, man, will you write that down in a testimonial? That is the best. Like I couldn't write it myself even if I was faking it. But he just said, you know, I hear this all the time. And the question I asked myself Am I in business to get friends and likes or am I in business to get sales? Said, I prefer sales and that's why I work with you guys. I just thought, man, if I could just put that guy on the road, everybody would be drinking the (laughs) Kool-Aid. Well, you know, in publishing, we do stand between all these fantastic companies that have products to offer and the people that need them. Correct. And the way we operate in between there is really going to be uh, determining our success or failure. And uh, when I look back at when, uh, you know, the digital revolution came, a lot of people in publishing turned left and became uh, online only and vacated print. Life magazine is is probably the best Mm -hmm. failure example of that experiment. I mean, a truly amazing magazine you know, with a long history and a huge circulation and wildly successful. And, you know, I I could name names of the genius that thought, hey, I've got an innovative idea. How about we just don't print it and we don't mail it? 
and we just make it digital. And everything else will remain the same. Wow, wouldn't that be financially great? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, they, they were out of business in, you know, what, five months, I think? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we uh, you know, in retrospect, we made a good decision because when everybody was turning left to go digital, and you need your digital components, of course. Absolutely. But we turned right and we embraced print in a huge way because we knew we were in a design business. Mm-hmm. So the photography, the design and layout of the stories, the original content was something we really embraced and were committed to. Yeah. And uh, I think Surface and Panel from the beginning was, uh, um, you know, we were kind of out there alone. I was just at a publishing conference and, you know, there was a, there was a panel and, you know, a group of us were up there talking and I was kind of staying more quiet than most, but, uh, which I know it's hard to believe. Uh, but you know, they were talking about the struggles of print and, and whatnot. And they kind of finally came to me and I said, you know, I, I hate to rain on your parade, but I mean, our print circulation's at an all time high and, you know, we're able to demand ad rates at an all time high and sales as a result are at an all time high. And, you know, honestly, I don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, the room kind of went quiet and I just said, you know, look with, we just finished a, a two-year study of our readership. And, you know, what we wanted to answer was to to really get behind the claim that young people only want to read things digitally. And, you know, what we found is that this, this really isn't an age or generational thing. Because, you know, again, we saw our print at an all-time high. So we're scratching our head going, well... If all the young people want to read digitally, then then why is print at an all time high? Maybe we just have a whole bunch of old readers, you know, and and there's you know they're just not dying or something. I don't know. Um, and and what we found is that it really doesn't have to do with age. It has to do with passion for the subject matter. So, you know, young people still read print. It just so happens when they're young they're more interested in snowboarding or mountain bike riding or yoga or whatever it happens to be. And the things that they're most passionate about, they consume print and they have that magazine and they dog ear the pages and they show their friends and, you know, they, they see the print ad and then they of course immediately pull out their phone and, you know, they, they Google the page and, you know, they learn more about that company. But, you know, it isn't until usually you get into now, you know, I mean, I was passionate about my career when I was 11, but, you know, now it isn't until you get into your 30s or so and you start thinking about getting married and having kids and buying a house that all of a sudden now your career becomes important and learning about the industry that you work in and being at the cutting edge of knowledge becomes important. And then all of a sudden it becomes your passion, right? And then that's when you start investing yourself in trade publications and, and whatnot. So it was uh, a very costly, lengthy research project that, you know, we even hired a third firm to do it because we didn't want any of the findings to be skewed. Um, but but that's it. And that's why it explains, you know, our print circulation and, and certainly consumer magazines are, are having a far more difficult time. Um, but within B2B, you know, that is such a defined audience and such a defined market um, that, you know, people are usually pretty, you know, interested in their careers and keeping their careers and advancing their careers and, uh, you know, just just getting 
quality, trustworthy information, I think is, is difficult to do, but, um, I agree with yeah. you. I mean, print yeah. isn't going anywhere. I honestly, I wish it would like if I could avoid a printing bill and dealing with us postal, boy, that'd be a happy day for me. Uh, but, uh, yeah. there's just nothing like holding a high quality print publication. And I always challenge everybody, you know, to do this very experiment, um, pull up a digital, anything, a web page, or even a digital magazine and try to just read that without being distracted. Like literally just try to focus just on that and read the whole magazine page for page without getting distracted. Now pick up a print magazine and try to multitask while you're reading the print magazine. And there's, there's just a weird psychological thing that happens that when you engage more senses and you're touching something and you're feeling it and you can smell the paper and you're holding it, um, you just can't multitask. You're immersed in that experience. And that's the power of print. And that's why the articles and the education is retained. And that's why the ads get responses. Yes, beautifully put. Yeah. And, and, you know, we tried to do that with Surface and Panel. It's a beautiful we, book. We believe that, you know, we're people looking at computer screens all day or cell phones that and maybe at the end of the day, they'd prefer to grab something that's high quality, beautiful photography, fantastic graphics. And it just as you said, uh, I think long form journalism has a, has a bright future. I agree. Because it becomes more enjoyable to sit down and uh, actually read a, a print magazine. I agree. So what's, what's the future of Surface and Panel? Well, I, I think, like you said, John, I mean, I think the future is bright. I mean, the future is bright for publishing. I mean, it's why we're investing in companies. We're investing in growth. Uh, you know, we we don't want to see these legacies and these valuable resources, you know, disappear from the market. So, um, you know, and Surface and Panel certainly fits that. So, you know, as you can attest to from day one, you know, we started investing in new tools, new resources, new capabilities. I mean, this this podcast is, you know, just one of many examples, um, you know, while we're anchored in print and I believe print um, generates the greatest returns. I'm a strong advocate of multimedia, of, of delivering quality content to audiences when and how they want it. So, you know, yeah, I want the latest breaking news as a headline on my smartphone delivered right away. Um, but equally, if I want to read more about that, it's not going to be on my smartphone. Um, you know, I'm going to earmark that and go somewhere else. So we want as good as our print is, I want everything to be that good. I want it to be that industry leading. So the websites, the newsletters, the social media feeds, the podcasts, the events, our attendance at events. Um, I want them to all be just as good or better than anything that we do. So um, it is a constant investment. And now, you know, that we're part of a bigger organization, we've got, you know, more assets, more bodies, a larger team, greater pool of expertise. Um, we're by no means a huge corporation. We'll never be corporate. Um, we all have a very uh, strong service mentality towards the industries that we work in. Uh, but uh, things will only get uh, brighter 
and uh, broader than they are now. Well, I'll tell you, I feel good that uh, considering that surface and panels, my life's work, um, I feel good that I'm leaving it in good hands. Thanks, Blake. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks for listening. This podcast was created by Surface and Panel, uniting materials, technology, and design. See you again soon.